3: And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might
2: be the one time
4: I'm speaking. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one Best Picture. Could you double-check the envelope?
3: And
5: I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are
3: just
5: standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm
3: the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... The Oscar goes and the Oscar two. goes to...
5: Jet.
3: My only object is... Here is to try and get out the like I like looking at you, kid. here. I don't give Could have been a contender. Passing your. I could have been somebody.
5: They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me, Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer the can
3: The census taker once tried to test me. Are you not I ate his liver with some fatherly profanity. <laughs> nice. Kid. Don't laugh. You can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV. I will not fall into.
5: You Twitter. It's time,
3: it's fast.
0: Welcome to the next best picture podcast.
5: Oscar goes to
3: OK, Coda. Hello,
0: everyone, and welcome to episode 322 of the next best picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and time of recording is 1109 a.m. on December 4th, 2022. What a week award season has officially kicked off with some key precursor wins. Here to talk about all of that, plus some trailers, some Oscar news, and a lot more, I have Evo Day.
1: Coming to you from the West Coast. Good morning, everyone.
0: Also on the West Coast, we have Tom O'Brien. Hi, everybody. Will Mavity. Also on the West Coast. <laughs> and not on the West Coast, but coming to us regardless, as always, Josh Parr.
4: Hello, hello, from very, very cold Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) All right,
0: so like I said before, what an exciting week. It seemed like every single day, there was either a really exciting trailer or there was some news about award season. We had some key precursor wins right out of the gate here to kick us off with this award season, including the Gotham Awards, the New York Film Critics Circle. This week, we're gonna get the National Board of Review winners. So, there's so much to talk about. I cannot wait to dive into a lot of this. Screeners have officially gone out to various uh, voting members for critics groups and guilds. So, a lot of people are also catching up on a lot of stuff. And then, of course, we have new movies coming into theaters. So, let's start off with what everyone's been watching this week. We can kick it off first with Evo Day. Eve, what did you catch either at the theater or at home?
1: Well, I finally got around to see Bones and All uh, by Luca Guadagnino, and it was... Such a lovely experience to see in the theater. It was. I would compare it maybe to uh, Terrence Malick's *The Badlands* in how it sort of incorporates the scenery of the Midwest in the story between these two very troubled individuals. There were some things about it that didn't either didn't work for me, or I'm still sort of trying to process. Like Mark Rylance's performance, I'm seeing very mixed reactions to that, and I can't quite tell where I lie, but I would really like to see this film again, knowing kind of exactly what tone it has to sort of uh, reevaluate it and uh, see where my interpretation lies. But I did really enjoy it. Um, I've also just been on a plane in the last few days, and it's always fun to know. I like to know what people choose to watch on planes because it's a very uh, it's a very specific venue in which uh, you pick a film. So I watched Philadelphia by Jonathan Demme, yeah. <laughs> which I would say was pretty much what I expected in terms of a. Uh, courtroom drama some of the language surrounding uh gay people and AIDS was I understand it for the time it was still quite hard for me to digest as a modern person and the last 10 minutes made me cry like a baby I just don't know where that came from maybe it was the altitude but I had about an hour left of my flight so I put on Elvis just to make me feel better um (laughs) which it did and since the um Sight and Sound Poll came out, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I've started to check off some of the films off that list that I have not yet seen. I watched Meshes of the Afternoon just the other day, just on a casual afternoon. And then last night, I finally got around to watching Beau Travail, which I think you can make the argument that it is a perfect film. I was pretty blown away by it and astounded. Um, I would love to have a further discussion about that film with other people who've seen it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I know that there are people here on the team who have seen it myself included. So there's definitely a lot to talk about with the site and sound poll. We'll have a whole section of the show here dedicated towards that. I can't wait to get everyone's thoughts there. Let's kick it off next though to Will Mavity.
2: Yeah, it's been a couple pretty busy weeks, so I'm pretty behind on my watching. But what I did catch is Babylon. That's a big one. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be curious to see how it plays. Uh, I think, like many contenders this year, it's going to be divisive. I fully expect it to be a factor in a number of below-the-line races, like costume design, cinematography... Editing in the sense that it's flashy, but also that Branch needs to really like the movie, as we've seen. So um, that definitely could happen. But again, you know, that'll kind of depend on how Ampus as a whole goes for it, because that's a bit of a barometer. Margot Robbie's fantastic in it. Um, I, I feel pretty good about her getting in, even in a pretty uh, packed category and it's it's going to be tough.
0: Yeah, I think out of all the possible acting nominations that movie could receive, I think she is the one that would break through.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I Diego Calva I think it's a really good breakthrough performance, but I think for him to get in that film would need to really hit with ampus and I'm not certain that it will hit that level with them. But he's excellent and I think Brad Pitt I I think given a lot of what's going on in regards to scrutiny to Pitt's personal life and the fact he just won. I don't in the fact that I don't know how well that film's going to land. I don't necessarily see him getting in there. There's a lot to appreciate in the film and it's one I think I'll definitely want to rewatch again. You know, there, there, there's a lot to like. There's a lot that didn't click for me. Overall, I lean positive. Fair
0: enough. I'm going to give it another watch myself because although it was very much like a movie, for me, it's definitely messy. <laughs> so th- there's going to be a lot to talk about with that one. I, I That's one of the, the upcoming podcast reviews this month that I cannot wait for. I'm yeah. so, so, so excited to dive into that.
2: There is a lot to talk about with it. Uh, oh, no. Also, you know, maybe Chazelle can end up in director because he certainly goes for it. You know, it's mm-hmm. the epitome of big swings and his craftsmanship is undeniable. But I'm I'm still intrigued to see how it lands. I mean, somebody said that they think it can be um, a slightly better don't look up with how it plays with Amphis, And maybe that's the case. So we will see.
0: I do think it's in that like too big to fail territory where even if it does get like mixed reviews, it just is, as you said, swinging for the fences with the craft categories. And if it has that below the line support, I still see a world where it gets into picture but I do think that there are some other categories, like maybe the screenplay, maybe director, the editing, like you mentioned, it's 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 fallen from the possible like nomination leader for me. I, I still think it'll be nominated for some stuff, including Best Picture. But there was a time where I had it leading nominations. And that's not the case right now.
2: Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, no, not really. I, I mean, like this has been a very busy couple of weeks, got a big pile of screeners that I'm trying to catch up on, including uh, a, about a third of the award season contenders. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully next week I will have a bigger update. Fair enough. Uh, Josh Parm, how about you? Yeah, this has been a busy week of me trying to catch
4: up with some stuff. Uh, I did see The Whale, which was our podcast review, and I very much recommend that podcast review because we had a very broad range of opinions about that movie and i think the discussion was really good so i wasn't a fan of the film but i do really like talking about it for sure yeah uh i also saw violent night the (laughs) murdering santa claus movie that (laughs) just came out (laughs) and you know it was mildly amusing it's not great there's some sections of it that it like tries to be sort of sincere with its sentimentality around Christmas, and it just felt very strange when those scenes are juxtaposed against Santa Claus, like literally smashing people's heads with with a hammer. But you know, for what it was, I had some fun with it. It's not a great movie. I don't think you need to like rush out to see it, but if that is if that premise is kind of interests you, I think you'll have a decent enough time with it even though it's not amazing
0: if you like cheesy like action movies with like arnold schwarzenegger delivering one-liners before he kills someone like that kind of entertainment i'm sure you'll appreciate a lot about this i thought it was silly and goofy and there were moments that i definitely enjoyed like the, the, the like some of the kills are very creative and a lot of fun but yeah this wasn't like i don't know like an action masterpiece or anything like that for me
4: no, no, I would not say don't go, don't go in with high expectations. It's not that good of a movie, but as I said at the top, mildly amusing. I had some fun with it, but it's rather disposable at the end of the day. Uh, I also caught up with Empire of Light, and this is a movie that I think looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful, and Olivia Colman's really great in it, but everything outside of those elements was very much lacking for me. I... I think this story is pretty poorly constructed. It felt kind of all over the place, and I do not think that the whole section with the Black character's perspective was done well at all. And, yeah, I didn't really care for the movie all that much. There are definitely some good crafts in it, and and as I said, Olivia Coleman, like, she could do no wrong, but there were far too many issues with the story for me to really get invested in it. So I'd, at the end of the day, I did not really care for the movie. I will say
0: this. If you like McKeel Ward or want to see more of his work, there's a very tiny movie that he was in called Blue Story that I recommend people check out. Because this is like kind of serving as his big breakthrough role, where I'm sure he'll get more roles after this. But it, to Josh's point, like it's it's got elements that work, but the whole is lesser than the sum of its parts. Yeah,
4: which is unfortunate. But like, Good crafts. I did appreciate some elements of it, but yeah, overall wasn't really for me. Uh, Can we talk
2: about Colin Firth's psychotic like (laughs) dialogue choices? Got a couple. uh... It's
4: it's a choice. It's yeah.
1: (laughs) Sam Mendes is a
4: first solo writing credit, and um, I think he should never do that again.
1: (laughs) I hear about this movie makes me terrified.
4: Yeah,
0: was not a fan of
1: it. Yeah,
0: it's not. I don't think it's as bad as people are saying, but it's definitely – it'll be out in a few days. You'll
4: see. Yeah, we'll have more to say about that soon, I think. Uh, I also finally caught up with Devotion had uh, had been missing that for a while and finally saw it and it was fine. I, I mean, it had some good moments in it, but I did find it to be kind of forgettable and a bit bland at the end of the day. So it was another one where I had a decent enough time while I was watching it. But overall, I don't really think it's a movie I'm going to be thinking about all that much either. So it was no. just sort of OK.
0: I was very disappointed by that one when we saw it at Toronto and I also got to say too like in retrospect the setup for the story makes perfect sense like I could see why you would want to adapt it but considering how the story ends yeah <laughs> it's a like in like when it was
4: over I was like no who who thought this was a good idea yeah I can understand why it's not making that much money because yeah that movie's done and it ain't Top Gun I'll I'll just say that <laughs> you do not have that euphoric feeling at the end of this movie so it is kind of a downer. But like I said, movie's fine. Like, I didn't hate it. It was it was just decent. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing that I want to mention is the probably the best movie I saw this week. And it's not, not a new film. It's an older one that I watched. But it is one of the many endless adaptations of Phantom of the Opera that are out there. But this one is from 1989. And the Phantom is played by Robert Englund. So it is a oh. very much, like slasher horror version and honestly this is like one of the best adaptations of phantom i've ever seen
3: like wow yeah
4: i mean it is very much a horror movie from the 80s so starring robert england so definitely know that that's the kind of tone it's going for but i just thought it was so fun and a little silly but in a good way and i had a lot of fun with it so if you are interested in that and are looking for a very fun adaptation of that story, I would very much recommend Phantom of the Opera from 1989 with Robert England.
2: Isn't his mask made out of people's skin a la Leatherface? Yes.
3: <laughs>
2: very
4: fun. It's a very fun movie.
0: Okay, Tom O'Brien, we're up to you. Well, now I have to see
5: that movie, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) Man. Um, Like Will, I've been having to uh, play catch up. And the last uh, week or so, I've been trying to focus on docs because I've been falling a little bit behind on that. Um, I did um, finally got to see All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And on the whole, I liked it very much. It's a very dense film. It covers Mm -hmm. a lot of very heavy material. Um, The main focus of it is the efforts by photographer Nan Golden to Bring the Sackler family uh, to account for their uh, responsibility in spreading the opioids, which has caused the crisis. And what particularly irks her is that they have this reputation now as being great philanthropists because they fund, they use the opioid money to fund museums and art, which is her world. And it's it's a that in itself could have been a very compelling doc. Um, However, uh, Laura Poitras has included other elements of um golden's life and they have like slideshows of her troubles with her family um her continual um obsession with her sister's suicide and then her very colorful career uh covering new york in the 70s and the aids crisis there in the 80s there's a lot of stuff here and it's really impressive um but I don't know how to say this quite. I never really found it compelling.
0: No, Tom, I'm, I'm right there with you. I actually think the stuff with the Sacklers was far more compelling. And if the movie was just about that... I probably would have been ready to say this was like the best doc of the year Yes, as many others have been. But I do think that the decision to tell the story with these two parallel uh, timelines, if you will, one charting her personal life and the other one charting the fight against the Sacklers and then intercutting them back and forth. I think that was a mistake in terms of the film's momentum. If it had been told chronologically, I think it could have actually been far more powerful because then you would have understood far better how her past experiences have uh, influenced the way that she is advocating and fighting for these causes today. But that's just me. That that's that's not my own personal you know takeaway from it.
5: No, I think we would have been invested in her much earlier than we are, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think the structure falls into a routine. It's sort of six or seven chapters. Each chapter is structured the same way. And it it never really got the kind of momentum I think they were really intending for. And so as a result, I admire it, but I'm not sure I particularly uh, am passionate about it. And it seems to be sweeping. Not exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Not
0: exactly. We'll we'll have more to say on that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
5: So uh, another another doc that is very high in the race. Um, that I wasn't particularly fan of was, um, good oppie, mm-hmm. which uh, many people think will be this year's octopus teacher. And, um, it's the, the thing I had with it is that it's, it's, it's really great when it sticks to the science, the, the story of the two Mars rovers that were designed to last for 90 days and lasted on Mars for 15 years is really, it's a, it's a triumph for NASA and when it sticks to that it's terrific but there early on there's a attempt to anthropomorphize these rovers like they're like real-life Wallies up there. And over and over again in their confessionals, the NASA scientists are using phrases like, oh, they're almost human. Oh, they're just like a member of the family. And it's like, stop it. Let me discover that. Don't tell me. And there's a lot of telling in this. And, you know, then it's back to the science, and I'm back into it again. And then a scientist will say, you know, compare... Um, spirit, one of the rovers is having memory problems to a relative that she has who has Alzheimer's, and by that time I was ready to ask for the check, please. Um, it's just it, it just became annoying at the end of the day, which is a shame because a lot of really good things into it. And uh, I hope it's I hope it doesn't come down to a race between all the beauty and grant you know for and this film because um, this this year has been so amazing. But Amazon is behind it, which is uh, formidable. but they have another contender in the race, which I think is a much better film. It's a doc called Wildcat. Yeah um this you know initially i was a little nervous about it it's a um it's a, a chronicles sort of a, um, a rescue mission in peru uh, that uh rescuers uh find ba- baby animals that have been never been in the jungle uh, but have been used by poachers and try to re-reacclimate them to teach them how to live in the jungle and they have these babies for 18 months And we follow two researchers, Harry and Samantha, Uh, trying to uh, reacclimate a baby ocelot who's absolutely adorable, they named Keanu. Now, I know this may sound like my octopus teacher, but this gets much darker very quickly because Harry, who's a a British Army veteran, uh, served in Afghanistan, has severe PTSD. And he has traveled to Peru to try and get away from all of that. Unfortunately, the mental illness came with him. And at times it becomes overwhelming. And you really fear for his safety, his own safety, uh, because uh, it just becomes very dark. And even even with the the lovely moments with the ocelot, you really hope he doesn't hurt himself. And his partner, Samantha, is really understanding and desperate to try and help him, but can't. It becomes abs. Now, this is riveting. This I was on the edge of my seat for the whole thing. I was genuinely terrified
0: watching it. I, I I. I, I almost I almost felt compelled to look up uh, if he was alive or not, like while watching the movie because my anxiety couldn't take it because he was so vulnerable and so naked in how ex- how he was expressing how he was feeling that it it, it cut really really deep inside me while watching it.
5: Uh, this this is what doc, the doc race should be. I mean, she would, things that just hit you like it, you know right right across the head with this is a problem and they really deal with it responsibly and uh boy this is a good film and i didn't expect um th- to be uh, really bowled over by this um it's uh, going to be in theaters in near uh, just before christmas and it's going to be streaming on amazon just before new years uh please keep this in mind it's called wildcat and it's really terrific all right
0: um, I will say uh, one rewatch and one new film. Uh, the rewatch was I was at an industry screening yesterday with Dan Baer for Elvis, which was the first time that I had watched the movie since its theatrical release. And as some of you may remember, I was extremely mixed on the movie. If I remember correctly, I think I leaned positive, but like just barely. I couldn't stand the editing. I couldn't stand Tom Hanks. I thought he was woefully miscast in the movie. And overall, it just didn't work for me as a movie. But I thought Austin Butler was obviously tremendous. Watching it again, the first 20 minutes still bother me. But I definitely settled into it much easier this time around. And I actually think it's actually now, you know, one of Baz Luhrmann's better movies. I think it's better than Gatsby and a few others. Uh, And so... I definitely walked away from it, liking it a bit more, but I'm still not into Love It territory. My original problems with it still stand, uh, but I also saw firsthand how well it played. And while it wasn't an enthusiastic reaction, it still got a tremendous applause for Butler's name when uh, his name popped up on the credits. Uh, and Baz was there too to do a Q and A. He got a lot of applause from people, and uh, it was moderated by Guillermo del Toro. And it was it was really nice to kind of just hear Baz explain the awareness of his style, how it's utilized. You know, you you know, I think that a lot of people definitely criticize him for the type of filmmaker that he is in his bombastic uh, way. But when you understand the method behind the madness, I, I think that there's also something very singular and admirable about it. So. Overall, I walked away appreciating the film just a little bit more. Um, I think, you know, aspects like the makeup, the sound work, the costumes, the production design, there's a lot to admire here. And I've finally come around to the idea that, yeah, I think it's going to be nominated for Best Picture when all is said and done. I, I really do. Now, if it wins the film editing Oscar over Everything Everywhere All at Once, we're going to have fighting words. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm, I'm i'm okay with it i've made peace with it
1: as someone who loves elvis i do not want it to win best editing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i still think top gun maverick there's a world where it could beat both of them in that category sure
0: oh i i agree if you will definitely uh and in the new film i saw this week josh i know you saw this one too emancipation with will smith Oh yeah, I
4: completely forgot to mention that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were saving it for me, but that's okay. Well, Um, I think that says something about it right there. (laughs) It does. Listen, it's well-intentioned. I don't think Antoine Fuqua is the best suited director to tell a story like this. He is primarily an action director in a lot of ways. And I do think that when this film focuses on the action, like Will Smith... On the run, fighting alligators. Uh, there's a there's a war sequence that like feels like it's stripped right out of glory, almost. I mean, that's where I feel like the direction really comes alive. But this movie's got some really serious pacing problems, I think. And it never fully had me on the edge of my seat the way I think it wanted to. And I also just found a lot of the storytelling to be conventional, both in its... Brutality, and also in terms of how it's depicting slavery, I mean, the only things about it that I, I I'll tell you this much the cinematography, while I wasn't particularly a fan of it, I still admired it, and I actually thought that it was a choice that kind of was fitting for the type of story that that it was telling. I don't know. I'm going back and forth on it a little bit here and there, but the bright spot amongst all of it, despite you know the controversy with the slap last year and everything else, I think Will Smith is really, really good in this movie. I mean, he is really giving himself over physically, emotionally. He's got a great scene near the end. I think I think it's in the second trailer. Uh, it, it's just like this monologue that holds on his face. He's like really, really great here. And I think if the slap had not happened. I think he would be in the honeymoon stage and he probably could have gotten a follow-up nomination for this, if I'm being completely honest with you. As is, like Josh said, I think it's gonna be quickly forgotten about.
4: Yeah, I, I think that the movie around that performance has far too many problems to really make an impact. And yeah, the fact that we're still dealing with the fallout from the last ceremony, I I don't think it's gonna get anywhere. Like I think it's a good tension for some crafts, but would not really bet on it landing any nominations, honestly. I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere
0: like SAG or Golden Globe still nominated Smith.
4: Yeah, I mean, it would be a really big Golden Globes move, I think, to nominate Will Smith for this movie and try to invite him to the ceremony when he can't do anything with the Oscars.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like I said, he's really good in it. I I almost feel bad, (laughs) you know, but at the same time... (laughs) It's uh, yeah, it, it just unfortunately didn't fully click together for me.
4: No. And I did not like Ben Foster in it like at all, to be honest.
0: Well, because he's not doing anything original.
4: No, I, I've seen this performance played by a
0: multitude of evil white men. Well, he's not evil, but you know what I'm saying here. The performance, the character. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing new there.
4: No. And it's also just not very good, in my opinion. I, I was very underwhelmed by him.
0: All right, uh, let's move over now into some really exciting talk. I want to get this uh, first point out of the way, first and foremost here. Step
5: into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and
3: conditions apply.
0: We can all rejoice. All 23 categories are going to be presented live on the telecast this year in full. <laughs> Thank God. It really is sending a positive message to me, at least, that it feels like they are taking the feedback from last year really well and doing their best to give us a show that is all about the movies that are going to be nominated, at least I hope. You know, everyone's citing like Jimmy Kimmel being announced as the host and how he'll probably make fun of the fact that no one's seen the movies, but I just can't help but feel like that's not the vibe I'm getting from the recent announcements and decisions that are being made in the lead-up to the ceremony here.
4: No, it feels to me more like... A return to tradition i just that's the vibe i'm getting and i'm fine with that i mean i've been on the record of saying that i think that last ceremony was uh, the worst that i've ever seen so the bar is pretty low for them right now and my big priority has always been the movies and the awards so like anything they do outside of that i hope it's not too cringy but my number one priority has always been, I want to see these winners. And I'm glad that we at least have that right now.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It
4: should never have been a problem to
5: begin with. No. 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 And, and, the, and two of the biggest issues now have been resolved. We have a host in November, the uh, last month, yes. and now we have all 23. Uh, check, check. And now we can, do, you know, we can now focus on making it a good show. Exactly. Speaking of awards and a good show,
0: Gotham Award winners were announced this week. That was a lot of fun. They were handed out uh, Monday evening. And the big winner of that evening was Everything Everywhere All at Once, winning for Best Feature and Best Supporting Performance for Kihei Kwan. And then in the lead category, we had Daniel Deadweiler winning for Till. Tar won Best Screenplay. Documentary went to All That breathes, which is why I said before, Tom, like all that, all the Beauty and the Bloodshed didn't necessarily sweep. Yep. Uh, Best International Feature went to Happening. So that was a great uh, opportunity for that movie to come back uh, into the discussion.
4: Great movie, too.
0: Charlotte Wells won the uh, Breakthrough Director Award. Uh, and what else do we have here? Breakthrough Performer uh, went to Gracia Flipovic for Marina. And yeah, as someone that was in the room, it was a very, very lovely evening. I I do think that the Tribute Awards also might have had a pretty significant impact on those that were in attendance because Gina uh, Prince Blythewood, Michelle Williams, Adam Sandler, they all absolutely crushed their speeches and uh, got some pretty enthusiastic responses from the crowd as a result. So Overall, a good kickoff to the award season in terms of winners. There wasn't really anything that I had a huge issue with personally, and yeah, just how do we feel? Uh, you know, with the table being set here.
4: Yeah, I mean, always with the Gotham's. I think you always have to remember that it's still a small group, and just because something wins here doesn't necessarily mean it's guaranteed for later. But it's always a good place to start momentum for sure. So. Uh, I think for all of them, they got that and it was good for them. I think especially Daniel Deadwiler because I feel like that performance is in danger of kind of slipping through the cracks. So I'm glad that she got that kind of a spotlight and that performance won.
2: Yeah, I think I echo what Josh said. You know, At the end of the day, this isn't necessarily indicative of one's awards prospects in general. It's a tiny group, but... K.Y. Kwan winning here and making a very endearing speech was very uh, reminiscent, I thought, of Troy Kotzer last year.
0: Yeah. Where yeah.
2: Gotham was kind of the, the moment where he went from, oh, I hope he gets nominated, to like, oh, he's a formidable contender. Yes. Not only do we think he's getting nominated, because you know, he got up and he made a great speech, and I think that was the start of something there. So I, I think this was definitely particularly a good moment for K.Y. Kwan. And uh, I echo Josh's thoughts on Deadweiler as well. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think there is a real possibility that Quan is kind of, at least among the critics circuit, maybe our acting sweeper this year. So,
0: Yeah, I think that's very possible. And another thing, too, about Everything Everywhere All At Once that I uh, particularly noticed is that Daniel Scheinhart, you can tell that he's nervous about all of this, and he's not really one for giving speeches, but Dan, Dan Quan give that guy a microphone. My Lord. Did you guys watch the Hollywood Roundtable with the writers? Like he was amazing during that. He gave a great speech at the Gotham's. I I think he should, you know, no offense to Scheinhardt, but I I think that he should just be leading the charge here. Anytime they get up to that podium because, oh man, he just knows how to speak to the film's themes. And, you know, I walked away from that evening like truly thinking to myself, you know what? It's early stages. I know the Gotham's are not indicative. Like everyone said here at the same time, Speeches like this and, you know, you factor in uh, Kihei Kwan and if Michelle Yeoh also picks something up along the way, this is the kind of stuff that could build up the sentimentality for a Best Picture when down the line.
5: Yeah, and th- that's very exciting. I think it's, for me at least, uh, the Gothams were less about who won and the impact on the Oscar race and more about the excitement of it's on, our mm-hmm. season's on, and the conversation is starting, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Can I just mention that I just noticed that the Banshees of Inna Sharon was nominated for Best International Feature?
3: Yeah. That's
1: funny.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's not, obviously, it's not a foreign language, but. Yeah, something yeah.
1: definitely would require subtitles, even if they spoke English. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as the FYC uh, campaign has been telling everyone, it's feckin' great. So. <laughs> Absolutely.
5: My favorite.
0: Uh, only other things I want to comment on from the Gotham Awards here um, are. Uh, Number one, two years in a row uh, that the table I was seating at won for uh, best series. So that was pretty cool. (laughs)
4: So that's why you predicted them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Last year it was Reservation Dogs and then this year Pachinko. And yeah, I I, listen, I just had a feeling I'm stealing that for next year. (laughs) I had a feeling I'm just saying (laughs) But that was really exciting. And then um, actually on a serious level, uh, Todd Field winning best screenplay for Tar. There's a part of me that is. Really starting to wonder how formidable of a contender he is actually for the win in that category when it comes to Oscar. I'm not saying that this has been inspired by Gotham necessarily. All I'm saying is that he created an original character. There's a tremendous amount of detailed research that went into understanding the world that Lydia Tar inhabits, and I think he has enough respect amongst his peers within the industry to be up there in that conversation. Just what is everyone's thoughts on
4: that?
1: I I keep going back to the just profound amount of detail in this film to really convince you of how real this character is. You know, people are literally mistaking it for a a biography. People think that she's real, which is kind of, I feel like almost kind of the point. Um, And just how much the film clearly understands the world of classical music and both the art itself and the politics that go behind making it. I also would assume that if, he was uh, nominated for best director that would obviously help his chances for a a screenplay win
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i would say that if you were predicting him to win best screenplay then you would certainly have to be assuming that neither the fablemans nor everything everywhere all at once is winning best picture because i uh, still have a hard time Honestly, seeing either of those win without a screenplay win. Maybe easier for the Fablemans, but even then, I'm still not sure. So it, it would seem odd where the majority of the big contenders this year are in original screenplay to have the win go to something that is not in serious contention for a Best Picture win. I would like them to do that, but it's been years since they really gave the screenplay awards to films that weren't top-tier Best Picture contenders. Well, a couple days later, the New York
0: Film Critics Circle announced their winners, uh, one of the most respected critics groups in the industry. And Tar won Best Film there, along with Kate Blanchett for Best Actress. Best Director went to S.S. Rajabouli for RRR.
3: Yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: the Banshees of Inisherin won two awards, Best Screenplay for Martin McDonough, Colin Farrell for Best Actor, which he also shared with After Yang. So cool. Uh Huy Kwan, once again, we could be looking at a sweep this season. He won Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actress went to Kiki Palmer from Nope. Cinematography went to Top Gun Maverick. Animated feature, Marcel Vachelle with shoes on. Best nonfiction film, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. Best foreign language film, EO, and Best First Film, After Sun.
1: It's a good list.
0: Oh, yeah. this was great. Mm-hmm. And
5: and it's gonna help so many films and performances.
1: Yeah,
0: well, that's the th- that's the thing here is that the most important win of the day, I think, was Raja Mooli winning director because kind of like with Drive My Car last year uh, with the boost that it got from LAFCA, New York Film Critics Circle, National Society of Film Critics. New York Film Critics Circle have officially opened up the doors to all other critics groups now that are coming after and saying, hey, if you were thinking about it, we did it. It's OK. You could definitely do it. <laughs> And I'm just really excited to see where RRR goes from here. Mm.
5: Yes, I mean that is going to be quite an FYC ad in the trades. Best director at mm-hmm. the very top, and uh, it's and that way they can. That's the lead, and then you could plug all the crafts underneath it. I'm very excited about the prospect.
3: Mm-hmm. Colin
1: Farrell's win here for two films. It's it's very much reminding me of in the the first ever Academy Awards in 1929. Uh, how Janet Gaynor and Emil Emil Jennings won for three films each, or maybe two or three films each, just for, like, a body of work. Not gutting, like, you know, we have recently had a couple actors get multiple nominations in one year, but it would be, like, (laughs) it would make so much sense for Colin Farrell to just get a nomination for three whole films. And I'm including the Batman in this, because, let's be honest, (laughs) he's
3: great in that.
1: But, yeah, the Banshees and uh, After Yang and the Batman as just, like, one extra-strong nomination would be, like, so cool. (laughs) Obviously not going to happen because it's not allowed, but it kind of reminds me of that.
0: I did relatively okay here with, like, predicting because Near Film Critics Circle are my people, obviously me being from New York and attending NYFF as much as I do. uh, It does give me a little bit of a key idea. So I I actually correctly called six of these categories here. uh, But the biggest surprise of all for me uh, was... Kiki Palmer for Nope, and I understand that Universal is campaigning her in the supporting category, but I was disappointed to see that actually pan out here, Um, not because of anything to do with her or the performance, but just simply because I really, truthfully, honestly believe that that's a lead performance.
4: Yeah, 100%. Oh,
3: God, That's
4: a lead performance, but it sounds like... That might have been the most contentious category that they were voting on. Like, we never know for sure. We just hear like whispers of reports in the room and it sounded like they took a long time to reach a consensus. So it felt like the field was very divided, which makes sense because supporting actors feels pretty divided this year.
0: Yeah. And I'll give uh, NYFCC credit for this. Uh, they were done relatively quick this year with all the awards. No
4: lunch break. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Unbelievable.
3: That.
4: Yeah, what's up with L.A., guys? <laughs> I was
3: expecting to be strapped in
0: until like 5 o'clock or something. <laughs> we were done by what, one thirty?
3: Yeah. I, I mean,
0: it
2: was a quick day. I was shocked and intrigued by, maybe I shouldn't have been shocked, but I, I was intrigued by Top Gun Maverick winning cinematography. Uh, you know, it's an incredible showcase with all of its aerial photography, but that especially because, I don't want to use the term elitist, but I... I I would have expected that win maybe more from the LA critics than I would have from New York. I, I was surprised that they went for a more crowd-pleasing film like Top Gun Maverick in a big category like that.
0: I mean, to be fair with that, Will, I too thought that LA would go for it as well. And when I got to kind of predicting what would win cinematography here, I was stumped. I, I actually started to consider maybe Tar, but none of the cinematography contenders this year, like screamed New York Film Critics Circle to me. And I yeah, I didn't really know where this was going to go. But when they did select it, to your point, I kind of took a step back and said, okay, you know what? That does make sense, especially when you consider the technology that had to be invented to capture those shots. It may not be an aesthetically stunning looking movie in the sense of something like I don't know, Blade Runner 2049 or um, I don't know, like, uh, you know, like any number of films that have been these traditional, uh, I don't even want to call them traditional, but standout cinematography winners over the last couple of years. And yes, it is a populist film, but I do think that the technology is what's being celebrated here.
2: Well, and it got me thinking, honestly, this could be a thing this season, especially if that film as big with Ampus as some people think it will be because I don't think the work in Babylon is very good, but I don't think it's undeniable. I don't think there's, uh, I don't think Janusz is, Kaminsky is necessarily considered incredibly overdue for another one for the Fablemans. Avatar maybe could be a thing, but you never know. I mean, the whole, the question of what is cinematography when There's even less live action footage this time around than the first one. I mean, there's not a clear front runner this year for cinematography. There is a world where this is kind of the start of a trend. And now that I start thinking about it, Top Gun Maverick could end up being our winner in this category.
0: And then the last thing I have a comment on here is uh, EO really needed this. So I'm glad to see that it got it. Very happy. And... Marcel Vichel with shoes on. I'm telling you, I really think that and Pinocchio are going to do battled all throughout the precursors.
4: Yeah. For the critics, I still think it has an uphill battle to get into the Oscar lineup. But I am going to be very happy with, with whatever wins Marcel Vichelle gets because I absolutely love that film.
0: Yeah. OK. National Board of Review is happening this week. They are always a very eclectic group. Uh, Sometimes there are certain filmmakers or studios that you want to keep an eye out for that they might go for. Uh, The winners are going to be announced on four days on December 8th. And when I stop and I look at the recent list of best film winners from them, typically speaking, it tends to be a movie that is not the number one or number two in the Best Picture race. It's usually something in the middle, like from three down. And they don't tend to go international. They tend to, you know, pick very American-based films.
2: They also have studios they like. I mean, we we obviously know that they love Warner Brothers. Uh, they also <laughs> do seem to like A twenty
3: four.
2: You know, I'll I'll never forget when they gave it to a most violent year out of nowhere in twenty fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I could see, unless they do Elvis, which I highly doubt, although they could. I
0: I think Butler's going to win actor from them, for the record. Yeah, I think that's how they
2: get their
1: Warner Bros. I would like to
3: see it.
2: (laughs) I could kind of see. And they were also, you know, they were the ones who got the Mad Max train rolling in 2015. So they do have a thing for action-oriented films. I could see them going for everything everywhere all at once here. And that is their A24 fix and kind of an action oriented film like that. And it's not necessarily the front runner.
0: Well, I, I actually think it's between that and if I'm being completely honest, I think it's that or Top Gun. I was going to say Top Gun feels yeah, like Top Gun. Yeah, I mean, Top
2: Gun seems right up their alley too. I, it's
0: the, To me, I think it's one of those. I, I just, I don't know which one because I agree with you why it could be everything everywhere all at once. But at the same like I, I'm almost tempted to say, this is where Michelle Yeo gets a big win,
5: yeah, yeah, that's the that. obvious win because mm-hmm. they they I tend to go, yeah, they tend to go for big and very often movie star stuff. And uh, uh Clint Eastwood is, doesn't have a film in the race this year, you know? <laughs> so I'm stumped.
0: But 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 here's the other thing, too. I mean, and ask yourself this question because I, I'm sorry, like, I don't want to be like too boring with this necessarily, but. Really, What if it really is just Fablemans and we're overthinking this? Because that is the type of film that also fits in with their, I think, their list of recent winners. And they even gave the post to Spielberg in 2017. But I think he
2: wins director. And I I don't think, they don't usually like to give, I guess last year they gave licorice... Licorice Pizza won picture and director, right? They go back and and forth. Yeah. Yeah. They're not
4: consistent, but yeah, I feel like it's kind of 50 50 whether or not they want to split picture and director. But it does feel to me like Spielberg would be more likely to win director than the movie winning picture. But it it could happen. I think that is definitely a possibility too.
5: Yeah. I mean, between Fableman's and uh, everything, both of those are top three or four contenders. So I, I, I tend to be leaning towards. More towards Elvis or um, Top Gun.
0: I'm going to go with Top Gun winning picture. Butler wins actor. Spielberg wins director. Michelle Yeoh wins actress. That's my that's my split here. I wouldn't be unhappy with that.
3: Yeah. No,
0: that would be be great. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what it does then? It solidifies Top Gun Maverick. I mean, I I understand already that people think it's already there and it's going to get into a 10. But there are some people that still need a little bit of convincing. (laughs)
4: so <laughs> Yeah, and on the subject of Mad Max, I do think that when it won NBR, that was like the first step to give other people permission to be like, "All right, now this is actually going to be a serious contender." Because that was sort oh, of yeah. on the bubble too, yeah. and I don't think people were really willing to take it seriously until it won that big prize. Mm-hmm. Do we feel like Kwan is also going to win supporting actor here? Because I feel like they might do something different. I think they'll do something different too.
2: Yeah. Uh, they uh, even in years where we have one actor kind of sweep everything, this group still likes to do something different. So, I, I kind of see something very off the wall. I'm not gonna lie, part of me wonders if they're gonna do Tom Hanks or Elvis. Oh, oh god. god, oh, please. I don't think they're gonna go quite
4: that far. Um,
2: <laughs> I can see Brendan Gleason maybe getting a win here. Brendan Gleason totally feels in BR here. Yeah, yes,
0: I agree with that. If not him.
2: I could see if they like the Fablemans, I could see random Judd Hirsch. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or, or what if they decide to do a joint thing and wait, it's also acknowledging water brothers and they do Paul Dano for both the Batman and the Fablemans. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh,
4: Supporting actress, any call outs there? Oh God. I I don't know. Again, (laughs) just chaos in this category. And I feel like, NBR supporting actress is already has a history of being chaotic. So I have no idea.
1: Maybe uh, Carrie Condon for uh fanchies.
5: Oh, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah she's fantastic. I see that. Yeah. I'm thinking, what if they pick Jamie Lee Curtis?
1: Oh,
5: I
0: listen. I know that there's a lot of. Uh, uh, here's the thing. I'm happy for Jamie Lee Curtis. It's not my personal pick. And I love the movie, so it's like I don't care anything that everything everywhere picks up. I'm happy with, but it would be better if Stephanie Sue was able to get some form of recognition.
4: Yeah, but it I'm does not sure seem like here.
0: I was gonna say look at their look at their list of winners too. They went for Ann Dowd and Compliance, Jennifer Jason Lee, The Hateful Eight, Lori Metcalf and Lady Bird, Kathy Bates, Richard Jewell, Anjana Ellis. They do tend to go for more like established veterans in this category.
2: Yeah, I, I generally, Curtis, that's honestly a, a good call. I could totally see this group go for her.
0: What if it's just like an Everything Everywhere sweep, honestly?
1: oh
5: maybe.
0: <sighs> yeah, we'll see. All right, well, that'll be a lot of fun. That's happening on December 8th. And now what I want to do is I want to move over to our trailers for this week. Because, oh, boy, what a week for trailers. Last week, we were struggling just to even talk about a trailer. We ended up talking about one that was released a week before. This week, we had so many so let's start off first with Transformers, Rise of the Beasts <laughs> This is from Steven Caple Jr., who previously did Creed 2. It's starring Anthony Ramos, Dominique Fishback. It's gonna be released in theaters on June 9th, 2023 from Paramount Pictures.
3: Stand down.
5: I'm not the one to fear, Prime. There is a darkness coming. Okay, I gotta be honest with you all.
0: I didn't hate Bumblebee.
4: No, it it was fine. But I think also it had the benefit of following some very atrocious entries into the Transformers series. So the bar was very low for it.
0: But that's the thing is that like at this stage, I like, yeah, I groan and I roll my eyes a bit when I see that there's another Transformers movie. At the same time, knowing that Michael Bay is not directing and we've got Anthony Ramos, Dominique Fishback. I, I feel, you know, cautiously
4: optimistic. It just looks so bland to me,
0: honestly. Yeah. yeah, the action didn't really do anything for me in this. I wasn't wowed or stunned by anything. Also, too, it feels like the designs of the uh, Autobots are different
2: than the Bay movies. Oh, yeah, they're they're going back yeah. for more the the classic cartoon design. It looks like.
0: Yeah, yeah, which I don't really care. I'm indifferent towards that. I don't even know if that's being well-received by people. I'm sure it is because I'm sure the original fans, are like, I'm sure they appreciate that. But uh, for me, that wasn't really good. Um, I will say this. I don't know if anybody else is in the same boat as me, but as a kid growing up, I used to watch Beast Wars on television. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. A cat. I, I was going to say, Tom, different generation. <laughs> so I get it. Uh, but... There was an aspect of that to this that had me, um, you know, from a fanboy, inner child standpoint, you know, not giddy, but just going, oh, yeah, that was a fun time in my life. At the same time, I just don't see any reason why this franchise needs to, co- to continue other than the fact that for some reason they still continue to make
5: money.
2: Yeah, but I mean, even are they even making that much money still? I mean, is it... <laughs> I feel like the last couple have kind of been. I wouldn't say financial disappointments because still make a lot worldwide, but I feel like they maybe I'm misremembering. I don't know. I mean, I think Paramount
0: Bumblebee made 468 million on a budget of like 100 million. So yeah,
2: yeah, that's solid. I mean, Paramount, I guess Paramount is in a good place right now. Finally, it's been a few years, but I guess they are concerned that they don't have many established friends. Holy shit! I didn't
0: even realize this. The Rotten Tomatoes score for Bumblebee was a 91 percent. Yeah. I forgot how well received it was. Holy
2: crap. That's the Rotten Tomatoes thing where a lot of people probably gave it like a B minus. And yeah, I I feel like that's more so what that
4: reflects is a lot of people being like, this is not
2: terrible. It's okay." And
4: you get enough of those. It just seems like if you get enough passable grades, then it looks like it's higher than it actually is.
1: I'll just jump in and say that Transformers is something that I have been aware of all my life and have never engaged with.
0: You're not missing much. You never saw the first film?
1: Sure did not. What year did that come out?
0: 2007.
1: Uh, no, I was a girl. So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Transformers, it's not a, a good series, although I will still kind of not defend the Age of Extinction, but it is just, man a uniquely bad movie I, that's all i could say about that particular film and the rest of them i yeah it's not really a franchise that i have any real interest in and as i said this trailer just made this movie look so bland that i i'm also struggling to find any enthusiasm for it outside of just watching anthony ramos
1: wait a minute is this where the stanley tucci holding the Beats pill meme comes from
4: Yes. Uh, yes, that oh is of Fiction. <laughs>
1: it's impact. It's impact. <laughs> I'm
4: telling you, that movie is, as I said, uniquely
1: bad. And I value it <laughs> just for that. Now I kind of want to see it.
4: The
0: second one in the franchise. Uh, the worst. The worst. That was. Oh, that one's
4: so bad. It
0: still stands as one of the all time like worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's awful. Age of Extinction. I agree with you, Josh, where it's like it is so bad that it's actually funny.
2: Yes. Oh, my God. The dialogue in that just consistently.
4: When the FBI agent says, my "My face is my warrant.
2: (laughs) And then, uh, Josh, we had some conversation about that this summer, and I actually watched it because, like, you kept pointing out these awful lines of dialogue. And then, like, the whole weird moment with uh, Jack Raynor. you know, they have this whole scene to explain the Romeo and Juliet law. Like, what in the fuck? Yeah. yeah. We can't know
4: oh, what else the plot is, oh. but we need to take this time to explain why it's okay for this like 20 year old dude to have sex with a 17 year old. Like oh, in it, explicit see. detail, it's amazing.
2: <laughs> okay. I have to say, the the medieval one, the last night, the first like 10 minutes of it are rad. I would have yes. watched a whole movie of that. Yeah. You know, sorry. Where, like medieval Transformers.
1: I'm sorry. The medieval one?
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it's only the first 10 minutes, and that's... Like the dramatic. first 10 minutes, it's like Transformers in the age of King Arthur. But then yes. it...
1: Yes. Uh... I'm fascinated.
2: Eve, yeah. Eve,
0: don't fall for it, truthfully. No, least. no, okay,
1: don't. Okay. Because
4: that, that's only the beginning If that was the movie, yes, I would be all in for it There's another section where they are fighting Nazis And that oh would have been great too
2: But it's like very, very small sections That's not Actually, what most of that movie is You can was. watch these clips on YouTube and be satisfied with that In
1: retrospect, the number one cultural impact Of Transformers when I was growing up Like the movies, was the rise of Megan Fox Yeah Like her yeah. just constant presence
0: It's true, it introduced the world to her
1: are not we grateful for that
2: and and the what I've done uh, the what I've done meme, you know. Oh my <laughs> god, like I forgot about that. Yes, blank if it came out in two thousand seven.
0: <laughs> All right, next trailer here. <laughs> Sorry, next trailers for Cocaine Bear. Yay! Yes,
5: yes.
0: Coming out on my birthday, February
5: twenty fourth. <laughs> oh, happy birthday, Matt. I <laughs>
0: know. Uh, Directed by Elizabeth Banks and starring Kerry Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Alden Ehrenreich, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Brooklyn Prince, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., Margot Martindale, and the late, great Ray Liotta. Let's take a look at the trailer and we'll give our thoughts on this one.
3: Ready?
2: We should
0: go. I'm going to say it out loud just so that I get it out of the way.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, we have found our next best picture yes. Oscar winner. Amazing. It's been oh. it so long since we've had a new snakes on a plane like this. Yes. I know. I want it so badly.
2: I won. I've got to say, uh, universe, no one's doing it like Universal right now. They, they're oh. one of the few studios who's still willing to greenlight this. Something <laughs> like Trash? Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, but, you know, and also, uh, you, you know, props to them. They also put out, I, I wouldn't say I love it, but an old school rom com like Ticket to Paradise, Violent Night. Uh, you know, it was uh, Bros. You know, I, I have to admit, I appreciate, and obviously they're greenlighting stuff from Jordan Peele and Christopher Nolan when...
0: No, there's a great spread.
2: Yeah, like, no. they're, they're really, I really appreciate that a studio is willing to greenlight something like this. And this will probably, honestly, I mean, Snake's on a plane disappointed financially. I, I was all on board that hype. I was in sixth grade, and I was all <laughs> on the internet hype, and I convinced my dad to take me to see that at midnight when it came out. Um, and it, it performed disappointingly, and maybe this will be too, but I feel like as a society, meme culture culture's taken over so much more that I, I I think this will at least have a big opening weekend.
0: <laughs> I think that the poster for this movie is-
5: The poster's great!
0: Amazing. It looks like something that was stripped right out of Sin City, and I'm all yeah. for it. Oh, absolutely. Oh. I'm also just here for the ridiculous tone of this trailer i even though this is not a very convincing cgi bear the fact that it is playing into an over the top kind of campy style is something that i just you know at a certain point you just want to have fun yeah and this looks like a lot of fun
2: yeah Yeah. so i also want to say um on some level now, we can say that really it was Field of Dreams that was Ray Liotta's breakout, but what really made Ray Liotta a household name was him as being the, uh, the coke addict in Goodfellas. So on some level, it's poetic that his final on-screen performance is him now <laughs> battling a
5: cocaine-addicted bear. <laughs> and, we've, and we've got good actors in this. Yeah. It's like Margot Martindale and, and Brooklyn Prince. it's like, oh man, they're having a blast. Oh, I cannot
4: wait for this movie. This this is very much pitched to me and what I tend to like out of very fun movies. And this thing looks like a blast. I, I want to see it right now. It is <laughs> one of my most anticipated films of next year. It looks so much fun and I cannot wait. I, I do have like, A a little bit of a
0: suspension of disbelief problem with the fact that you have all these characters fighting this bear. And I just keep asking myself, well, why don't you just shoot the bear? It's not that kind of movie, Matt. I know. (laughs) There's got to be an explanation given. Or maybe he just has, you know, he takes like a lot of shots because. Yeah, he's
4: he's, he's just high on cocaine. He just keeps going. You can't bring him (laughs) down. (laughs)
0: Oh man, I, I'm gonna have to just give myself over to this movie when I see it.
4: <laughs> the movie's called Cocaine Bear, man. I think you've got to take the leaps of logic with the movie.
0: <laughs> uh, oh man, I'll be I'll be in LA when this comes out. So
2: oh, we're seeing it together, man. <laughs> but uh, I I love that Elizabeth Banks directed this. Like it's there's I, I can't really say what type of film she's interested in between like Pitch Perfect, uh, the Charlie's Angels, and this. But I, I, I admire her spot and I, picking a film like this to direct.
0: I, I actually think this is the answer. Ultimately, I think she just wants to work with fun people and have a good time on set.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And This yeah. looks like a very fun set.
0: Yeah. Because all those movies you just described, I'm sure were really fantastic sets to be on.
2: Last to make on set. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they, they were ultimately fun movies, even if people have, you know, issues with them when all is said and done. And this just looks like a, looks like a, well, it looks like a line of cocaine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christopher Lord, or Christopher Miller and Phil Lord are involved in this too. Executive producers. Uh, I think just regular producers. So I think they're even more hands-on. Oh, well, there you go.
4: That's encouraging. Yeah.
2: Regular yeah. producers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this looks, this looks great. This is my most anticipated 2023 fuck uh barbie and fuck um Oppenheimer. yes this, <laughs> this is
0: the real one denny villeneuve is shaking about yes. the awards prospects <laughs> yeah. of dune part um, two now so get
4: snubbed <laughs> again for her <for> banks <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right next trailer here marvel studios guardians of the galaxy volume three set to be written directed by james gunn coming to theaters on may 5th 2023 let's take a look at the trailer we'll give some thoughts here for this one as well
5: we were gone
2: for quite a while but no matter what happens next, the galaxy still needs its Guardians.
5: Hello, we come in peace. <laughs>
0: come on Drax, seriously dude? No no, no, no. Ow! <laughs> hey! Ow. Okay,
4: I like the Guardians movies. They're, they're fine. Yep. Uh, you could probably tell my enthusiasm has dipped dramatically in talking about this movie. I Here's the thing. I actually wasn't the
0: biggest fan of the first Guardians as so many others were. I thought it was actually just okay and I really liked Volume 2. Like a lot. And I'm
2: right there with you, Matt. Okay.
0: Yeah. I've talked to some people over the years who it's like their least favorite MCU film. Oh. But that movie, to me, just had this like hangout, almost Richard Linklater element to it, where it really honed in on the characters a lot more. I thought the writing was a lot more interesting. Kurt Russell was a great addition to the story. Everybody felt more fleshed out. And here, knowing where James Gunn is at in his career professionally, this is it for him. Yeah, This is the last time we're going to get... Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure these characters will continue to probably pop up in other MCU movies and maybe another director will come along and deliver another standalone film at some point. But something tells me this is it for, you know, this era of the guardians.
2: And he, um, one thing I liked about the second one is on some level, you know, in some ways it was quote unquote a bottle movie, but there were more stakes than some of these movies have in the sense that, Oh, you know, they're willing to let a character die here and there. And I thought that that kind of gave it a big punch with um, Michael Rooker's character mm-hmm. sacrificing himself. I actually thought that moment was pretty emotional where he's like, uh, you know, he, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, OK, that got me. And I think this one is heading for something more concrete in terms of maybe sacrificing a character or, or two i'm
0: worried it's going to be rocket i yeah. don't
2: think it's rocket i think they're they're trying to make us think it's rocket
0: yeah because it looks like we're getting some rocket backstory in this or some really deep characterization at least from what i can tell here
2: i think it's dave Bautista because he's made these comments about you know he will not be returning to the mcu mm. <laughs> So I I, I think it's, I mean, maybe it's both. It it, it can't
0: be Zoe uh, Saldana because, I mean, she's made comments too about like how franchise films have like stifled her artistically. So you could tell that she probably wants to branch off and do other things. But at the same time, they kind of already killed off her character in Avengers Endgame. So I don't know if they'd be willing to do it again necessarily. I, I mean, the MCU, when it comes to characters living and dying, I just I don't have I don't have any emotional investment anymore because nobody ever stays dead. (laughs) True. So I do trust James Gunn as a storyteller to deliver here. I thought he did a great job with the Suicide Squad. Um, I think he's done an admirable job so far with the previous two Guardians films. And considering this might be his last directorial effort for a while, uh, considering that he's heading up DC Films now. I'm sure he wants to probably go out with some sort of a bang.
5: And from the looks of this trailer, it really has the same best sensibility that than all of his films. It fits right in, and I'm really excited to see it.
0: Yeah. I also really like the uh, trailer music. I've, I've always felt like the Guardians movies had great soundtracks to them and really, really like uh, the use of the music here in the trailer, too. All right. So our final trailer here is for Indy. James Mangold's Indiana Jones, and The Dial of Destiny. Coming to theaters on June 30th, starring Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mickelson, Boyd Holbrook, Toby Jones, Antonio Banderas, John Rhys-Davies. Let's take a look. Let's give some thoughts.
3: I miss the desert. I miss the sea. I miss waking up every morning.
5: Wondering what wonderful adventure the new day will bring to us. Those days have come and gone.
3: Perhaps, perhaps not.
0: We're going to be back. (laughs) Okay, this has got to be it, right? Like, there's no way that Harrison Ford ever does this again. Like, this is it.
1: He seems to really <laughs> just sort of despise the whole concept of movie stardom but yet he keeps coming back to all these legacy sequels and god damn it if he's not joined the MCU
2: too.
0: I mean I just find it hilarious that he went back and like revisited his three like most iconic characters in movies with Blade Runner, Star Wars, now this. And I'm, I'm like wondering what other movies in Harrison Ford's filmography are we going to get some sort of a legacy sequel to at this point? <laughs> yeah,
2: Witness oh. 2, please. He goes yeah. back to oh, oh. the apocalypse.
1: He's going to be in Apocalypse Now too.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like five <laughs> minutes of screen time. In
1: American <laughs> Graffiti too.
2: Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm here for another com- The Conversation follow-up, maybe. <laughs> get Gene Hackman out of retirement too.
0: But in all seriousness though, I thought Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was it. I thought we were done after that, especially considering it was seen as a disappointment by many. Spielberg was not set to return to direct this one. But you get James Mangold in there. He's a great, and I mean this like really in a, in a positive way, he's a great studio-for-hire director. He's not an auteur of the same way that a Boz Lerman or, as uh, Eve said earlier, like a Wes Anderson. But he's such a solid director that can really, uh, mold himself into any style that the story calls for. And here I'm watching the visuals. I'm watching the set pieces. I'm looking at just the way this trailer is constructed. And I'm saying to myself, you know, if you had told me this was directed by Steven Spielberg, I would have believed you.
2: Yeah. It's very visually dynamic. That scene where they're going, uh, through New York and you have like multiple planes of action going on. Uh, with uh, you know, I think it's a motorcycle chase going through the, during a parade in New York, and you have all this stuff right in the front of the frame, you know, passing by the camera, and then you have going in the opposite direction. It's it's during a chase. It's it's like classic Spielberg dynamic camera movement with both the camera moving and so much going on in terms of um, parallel movement on the screen. Yeah, I mean, visually, it it looks great, and. um I mean, it looks like it's going to be flashback heavy. And so they... I was
0: going to say, what do you guys think of the de-aging? Well... It looks great to me.
2: It does look great. I mean, and I think they've done interviews where they said that they think it's the first time that the effect has worked. That being said, if there's a lot of it, it really needs to work.
0: Yeah, it does look like there is a lot here. I I think some of the best de-aging I've ever seen in a movie was in Blade Runner 2049, but that was not dialogue heavy. And here I'm seeing a lot of movement and action and lots of facial expressions. And I'm saying to myself, oh, man, they it, it, let's just put it this way. We come a very long way. Yeah, that's true. But I think the Irishman was such a leap forward in terms of taking an existing actor and de-aging on set that here um, this does not look like, at least from what I could tell, a full harrison ford uh cgi creation it looks like they probably took harrison ford in the present and maybe used the same technology from the irishman
4: is my guess yeah i mean it it does look like a a very impressive kind of de-aging i do wonder like how much of it is going to be in the movie that's that's a question that i have but yeah the effects work does look good i'm more hopeful in the The practical stuff, because I think for a lot of people, that was the big letdown of Crystal Skull was just how much CGI was actually in that movie. So I hope that we can get a return to more of the practical work. So, I mean, it's still Indiana Jones 5. Like, I'm still going in with correct expectations, I think, for how good this will actually be. But there's good elements here that keep me a little optimistic.
5: Yeah, and and Mangold, throughout his career, brings an intelligence to genre filmmaking, Uh, like 310 to Yuma and Logan. Those could have been ordinary Westerns or MCU things, and he's just raised both of those up to a point where I'm really excited to see what he could do with this. Same. Also, too, John Williams' last film score. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to
2: say, if The Fablemans is not... You know, if this is not his Oscar year for that score, then that is right there next year. Mm-hmm.
1: Also, can we just talk about Mads uh king of the franchise? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Harry Potter, MCU, Hannibal Lecter, like,
2: just... Oh, Hannibal's so good. If you need a villain, oh, you, gotta love Hannibal. you know who to call. He's just... Oh, I'd, I'd... Oh, I love him so much. I bad. love that we have Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Antonio Banderas coming in here, too. I feel like... Oh my
1: God. Love Antonio Banderas.
2: I adore him. Yeah. I I can't wait to see what his role is. And 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 y'all
0: better believe I screamed when I saw my boy Gimli. Oh,
2: God.
5: John (laughs) Rhys-Davies. Oh,
2: man. We're really we're going to do the Welshman as an Egyptian in 2022. Okay, (laughs) But I do love John Rhys-Davies. So, yeah. You know. Overall,
0: can't help but be excited. I mean, I definitely think Harrison Ford is probably too old to be doing this at this point. Um, I, I kind of also felt that way a little bit about kingdom of crystal skull, but at the time it, it was like, okay, well, this is the last one here. I'm like, sir, are you okay? I hope you're not getting injured. I hope like, like physically, I hope you're all right. Uh, but you know, what I'm just worried about in that regard is I think of the Irishman a lot. And I think about like those moments of De Niro having to get physical and how unconvincing those moments were. And I just don't want to see that happen here. We will see. We will see. Alrighty. Next up polls last week's poll for the release of white noise, currently playing in limited release right now, heading over to Netflix very soon. We asked everyone, which is your favorite Adam driver performance, a short filmography to choose from so far, but one of the great actors we have working today where it feels like everything he does is fantastic. Eve, is there an Adam Driver performance that stands out to you? Uh,
1: yeah, the SNL skit where he plays Kylo Ren in Undercover Bosses. <laughs> oh, <Yo>, yes.
0: <laughs> okay, but for real though, hilarious.
1: <laughs> um, I guess I did like him in Mar- like I'll be honest, I like him in Marriage Story even if I don't love that movie. Fair. Yeah.
0: Josh
2: Parm, how about you? I think I'm going to go with Patterson. Will Mavity? Yeah, the two I was going to pick would have been Patterson or Marriage Story, so uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. You know, uh, you, okay, so I'm going to go out of the box and throw a bone to Logan Lucky.
5: Oh. He's great in that. Yep. Tom? And let me go with the Oscar nomination of Black Clansman.
2: And I'm going to call out
0: his work in Star Wars Last Jedi, I think that is the best performance anyone's ever given in a Star Wars film, period.
3: Blow that piece of junk out of the sky. <laughs> 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 All
0: right. Uh, <laughs> God. All right. Let's see what the MVP film community voted on here. At number 10, we have The Report. Okay. good in that. I thought he was good in it. I think it's a good movie. There's literally nothing about that movie that blew me away. You no. Know. I just found it to be kind of forgettable when all was said and done. Number nine is Silence.
4: Yeah, I mean, he's good in Silence. He's not my favorite part in that movie, but it's a good performance. I think if he was
0: in it more, it would rank higher.
4: Yeah.
0: Number eight, White Noise. Okay. Has anyone had a chance to see White Noise yet? I have. not, Not yet.
4: I am doing so very soon, though.
0: Okay.
5: He's really good in it.
0: I think he's really good, too. I think it's actually an appropriate place.
5: Yeah, that's about right.
4: Yeah,
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in the upper of his filmography, but he is really good in that. Number seven is Logan Lucky. Nice. That's that's funny. Uh, number six is The Last Duel. Oh, The Last Duel. Remember that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> number five. Too low, in my opinion. Number five is Patterson.
2: Mm. I think people just don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, it needs to be more widely seen. Uh, number four, baby a net. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Remember
0: like for the longest time that uh, picture of him going around holding a net in the caption, this is my baby? <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it still shows up. <laughs>
0: Oh, man, that, that is a uh, I love I love how committed he is in that performance, especially like the stand up stuff that he's doing. Uh, number three, Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Number two is Black Klansmen, And number one, no surprise, Marriage Story. Yeah. yeah, truly great in that. No House of Gucci, huh? OK, <laughs> <sighs> what can I say? All right. And now for this week's poll. What a great talking point this was this week, right? Oh, my God. So the BFI Sight and Sound poll, which is released every decade, polling um, the critics from all over the world, asking them which are their favorite. Well, or, or sorry, not favorite, but what they think are the best films of all time. Poll is then put together, released to the general public. We have our... 100 films, lots of ties, lots of new inclusions on this year's list. What I did was I took the entire list and I am now asking the MVP film community, which film from the list is your favorite? And you can choose up to 10 here. So, I mean, I'm not going to have you guys list all 10. We'll be here for quite a while. But from the Sight and Sound poll list of the greatest movies of all time, one, do you have any thoughts on the list? And two, is there a film that either is your number one favorite film of all time, number two, three, et cetera, et cetera? So we'll start off with Yves.
1: OK, I have so many thoughts about this list, and most of them are entirely positive. Uh, I would say especially seeing all the directors. I mean, I know the director's poll is, is different, but just seeing people's individual lists, just like makes me generally happy to just see this like l- love that people have for film, especially coming from all these different backgrounds and pulling from all these different uh, origins. There's a couple of films I'm actually really surprised aren't on the list, but I don't I don't have like some sort of anger like, oh, how dare they not put on the list? Like, it's just a subjective compilation of people's opinions. Like, it's really not that big a deal.
0: Yeah, I want to I want to echo that here really quick that some of the discourse that I saw this week, like, Awful. People are really just telling on themselves and showing their ass in a way that, guys, it's just a list. Calm
3: down.
1: It, they're just people making it. Um, I'm surprised that something like uh, Wim Wenders' uh, Paris, Te- Paris, Texas wasn't on it. Um, I'm also surprised there wasn't something like uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg by Jack, uh, Jacques Demy. Uh, I'm also surprised that All That Heaven Allows didn't make it and Imitation of Life did. Not mad about it. I'm just surprised. Uh,
0: let me ask you this question though, Eve. Is there a film on the list that you haven't seen that you're like, I got to see that?
1: Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, I have my list right here. I haven't seen the number one film, Gian I'm <gasps> very. Fam- I know, I know. I'm very familiar with it and it's been on my list for years, but I just need that perfect, uninterrupted three hours to watch it <laughs> and that hasn't come up now that it's on. I mean, not now that it is number one, I'm probably going to move it uh, on my higher on my to-do list. But um, yeah, there's tons of films on the list that I haven't seen that I'm, I'm really excited to see them. It's not, I don't feel like a bad film watcher. I just feel like, Oh, there's so many films to watch and that's great. No.
0: I, I mean, I think that's the important thing of a list like this too is I think it's great that if you haven't seen something on this list, that this list has now given you motivation, maybe, to seek out some great cinema. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I, I would like to go around and like ask everyone, too, is uh, not just your thoughts on the list and what your uh, favorite film is on the list, but also, too, what is a film that's on the list that you haven't seen that you want to catch now at this point that you've seen that it's placed here? So why don't we hear next from Josh Parm? Josh, uh, those questions over to you.
4: Yeah, uh, I'm. I will be honest that whenever this list does come out, I am somewhat interested in it. But I also do recognize that yes, it is just a list of films at, at you know sort of the snapshot in time that people are considering to be great, and I think it's a good resource to kind of check out some of these stuff and to some of these films and to see where they are placing within the culture but ultimately it is just a group of people's opinions and i sort of feel the same way about like the afi top 100 like it's interesting but you know at the end of the day it's just one group of people's opinions and i don't really get (laughs) that bent out of shape out of it like some other people do um but obviously very good movies on this list some obvious call outs for sure but One of my favorite movies has always been The Night of the Hunter, and I just always love to see people talk about that film. It really is one of my all-time favorite movies, just the imagery of the perfect black-and-white photography in that film. I I absolutely love that movie so, so much.
1: How devastating that Charles Lawton never went on to make another film.
5: I I know. know. I'm heartbroken
4: about that.
5: He has the best track record of any director. (laughs) Quite quite
4: literally, yeah. (laughs) True. Truly, you know, there's also obviously not like a ton of fast spender on this list, but the one that is here is Ali Fear Eats the Soul. And he is such a fascinating director. I don't love all of his movies, but I'm intrigued by nearly everything that he did and any kind of representation on this list. I I do find very valuable. So like I said, it's not my favorite movie of his, but I do really like that one a lot.
1: I think that is my favorite movie of
0: his. Uh, Josh, any call outs for something you
4: want to watch now that it's on the list? Well, you know, this is a movie that I, I started watching, but through things that were beyond my control, I couldn't finish it. So I do need to finish it. And that is Stalker.
1: <gasps> OK,
4: <laughs> I started watching it, but the the disc I had was like broken and I was so heartbroken that I couldn't finish it. And I just haven't had the time to go back and watch it again. But I was very intrigued by what I saw. But I need to finish the movie.
0: All right. Understood. Will Mavity, same questions over to you.
2: Yeah, so one thing that surprised me was that uh, there was <clears throat> no Ingmar Bergman on here. No, 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 not true. Persona made it. Persona, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not necessarily uh, as big a fan of his work as some, but I was surprised that some of his dropped off, like The Seventh Seal. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I was. There. Yeah, I was also sad that um, Touch of Evil... Dropped off. I I really love that film. I think it's, I think it's an extraordinary Orson Welles performance, and it's a very compelling character. And then I'm a sucker for Lawrence of Arabia. I was I was very sad to see that go. I was
0: surprised to see that go.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I was I was very shocked. I, that's like the quintessential great epic. But um, so ones that I haven't seen that got added this time around. I've been meaning to watch The Red Shoes forever, and oh this, my
1: god! Yeah, <laughs>
2: this is as good an excuse as any to watch it. I, I will say this well, I saw it in
0: its 4K restoration in the movie theater with Dan Baer, oh and it really was truly extraordinary. Now,
1: stop torturing me! <laughs> I want to see that. I want to see it in the theater so badly.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I have a I have a Criterion version of it, so. And then I I loved seeing two Miyazaki ones on here, Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. yeah. um I need to watch... What, what's it called again? Daughters of the Dust.
1: Oh, fantastic That's film. That's, really That's a
2: good one. Yeah. So, yeah. Th- those are some shout-outs. I-, I thought it was cool that The Shining showed up here. I mean, I think that... I think that's as much a symptom of it's just widely seen as anything. But you know, more power to it for being included. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good lineup. I mean, I, again, I think people getting really caught up in it and getting upset. It, especially now, where there's so many lists. Mm-hmm. I, I you know, I, I think 20 years ago, I think if you did or didn't get on it, in a lot of ways, people could say, okay, well, the Sight and Sound list is like one of the three definitive statements of film's legacy. But now that's not the case. I mean, there's, there's a million lists. So right. you didn't make it on here, okay. Um, but, you know, it, it, as, as others have said in this episode and others have said online, it is cool as a snapshot to see what people think right now. And I'm glad that it's going to give attention to some films like Daughters of the Dust that probably deserves some more and honestly people talked about there's a lot of recency bias but it's i mean what there's only like four films from the 2010s that showed up there
1: yeah also that's not a new thing
2: the bi- yeah,
1: bicycle thieves one was the number one film in 1952 and that was four years after it came out
0: yeah. right can, can we also just like save it a record too i mean the the modern films that are here get out parasite portrait of a lady on fire like really? You're going to complain about those movies? I
1: know. It's, it's ridiculous.
0: I mean, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but w- when it comes to, like, Moonlight, Get Out, you know, Parasite Portrait, if somebody were to just say to me, yeah, those are, like, the quintessential, like, masterpieces of the last couple of years, I I would turn around and say, yeah, pro- yeah,
1: <laughs> like, I, I think you're right. I absolutely agree.
0: <laughs> no argument. Exactly. So, why not? And... It'll be telling to see in a decade's time if they continue to stay on the list, if they drop off the list, do they move? Like where do they move? And also, let's not forget too, they increased the pool of critics this year from eight hundred to like sixteen hundred. So, I think we were bound to have some new inclusions. But like, like I said. If you're going to include anything new from the last couple of years, I just I have a hard time making an argument as to why it shouldn't be those movies.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Matt, I never actually got to say which of the films on my list are my favorite. Oh, oh,
0: sorry. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) No,
1: it's okay. I'm just going to rattle off a few. Mahalan Drive, Cleo from 5 to 7, The Passion of Joan of Arc, The Red Shoes, Moonlight, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, A Matter of Life and Death, Tokyo Story, Singing in the Rain, Chunking Express, A Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Tropical Malady, and Daughters of the Dust. Love it. Thank you. Great movies.
5: Uh, Tom, over to you. I'm just exhausted listening to Eve's list. <laughs> There's
1: so many good ones on
5: the list. It's so, it's so true. And I'm totally with her. I haven't seen uh, Gene Dealman either. So I, I got to carve out some time. We should watch it together, Eve.
2: We should. <laughs> I'll be in LA in a few, in like a couple weeks.
5: All right. <laughs> Tom, you have to cook though. You have to cook. Uh, yes, I will cook. With and and maybe, maybe, maybe I can get Emma to bring her uh, mac and cheese. Oh, that would be, be great. great. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm very impressed with the list. Uh, you know, it is strange. I was looking for my favorite films and I found them on the list of movies that dropped out. Aww. you know, it's like you're dropping Grand Illusion. You're dropping Lawrence oh. of America, Raging Bull. Uh, they dropped, uh, Godfather two, which was number 21 last year off Nashville Chinatown wild bunch they don't like the 70s anymore uh it's yeah. you know it's like those are to me the gems but uh, there's there's quite a few things that uh and several that Eve had mentioned that uh I really really have to see so but Oscar season has to be over so I'll do that one after that but uh it looks like a lot of really good things and I'm very excited to catch up with a few uh
0: some of my favorite Movies of all time that are represented here um, off the top of my head. Apocalypse Now, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Mulholland Drive, Taxi Driver. As far as movies that I haven't seen that are on the list, um, I've never seen Killer of Sheep.
1: Me neither, but I'm really looking forward to that one.
0: And this is a blind spot for me just in terms of overall filmography as well. Uh, but when it comes to uh, Douglas Sirk, <gasps> I've never seen Imitation of Life.
1: Oh, Matt. I know. <laughs> oh, I, wow. I also recommend the original from the 1930s. The director's name is, is I can't quite remember, but that one with Claudette Colbert, that one is also, they're, I mean, they're interesting to compare to one another.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also a couple of others here that I haven't seen as well, but um, those are two I'll particularly share here. Overall, like I said, I don't get like so emotionally invested in this. That yeah, Tom, like you listed a couple of ones there where I'm like, yeah, that's unfortunate, but do I really care in the grand scheme of things? Not really. No. It's fine. You could always look back at the previous lists and see what people thought was, you know, great back then. Yeah. I, I do think that over time if certain things do drop off, like I mean like like the really quintessential ones, like the ones that are like near the top of the list. Um, I I, I would start to get a little worried, but I also would recommend, too, if people have a problem with this list, take a look at the director's list. The director's uh, list is uh, pretty interesting and it's great seeing the individual uh, lists from people like uh, S.S. Rajamouli, uh, for example, being shared around and you can see what they voted on here.
1: Um, Did I mention that Simon Lang put his own film on his list?
0: <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if like Paul Schrader had like ten of his films on the I'm list. I was
4: gonna say big Paul <laughs> Schrader energy.
0: <laughs> all righty, all righty. Cast a vote on nextbestpicture.com for which film from the twenty twenty two Sight and Sound poll is your favorite, and that'll be fun to read out uh, next week. Basically, like what the MVP film community would rank as the ten best uh, in this amongst this poll. I'll be very curious to see how those votes get distributed next week. And now to end this week's show, we're taking questions here from the MVP film community. Let's see what they all had to ask us for
4: this week. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on.
0: Uh, Connor Lorenz, if you had the power to put one film on the Sight and Sound Top 100 that isn't already on there, oh. what would it be?
3: Oh,
1: you can't give me that much power. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Hard to narrow it down to one, but the movie that just immediately popped in my head was Orlando.
1: Nice.
0: Um, I'm going to take a wild guess and say it's not here because of vote splitting, um, but I would argue for Fellowship of the Ring. All right.
1: I would say a film that is so beloved, yet for some reason has not been as, has never really made its way into the critical uh, oeuvre, uh, Wizard of Oz.
4: Interesting. Yeah. I'm
3: like kind of
1: surprised
4: overlooked. it's not there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I feel like it gets overlooked when it comes to like greatest lists, international and, greatest lists.
5: Mm-hmm. And it, it, it would is. be on my list.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. Mine too. And,
5: it would be mo- the, one of the most influential movies among directors of several generations, I would bet. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I didn't see it anywhere.
5: Yeah. I would probably say McCabe and Mrs. Miller.
2: Ugh. Love that. Ooh, that's a good one.
4: Uh, his best movie, in my opinion.
5: Mm.
0: Matthew Anderson, assuming Butler, Farrell, Fraser, and Nighy are all in for lead actor, who is getting in that final slot? Maybe still Hugh Jackman. I have a feeling it might be Hugh, but I actually am going to say that I think if there is a critic's push, it's Paul Miskell for yeah, after Sandra. yeah, I,
3: mean, yeah. I, I I
2: would have been a good start for him to have won New York, and I kind of thought that yeah. was going to happen. I, I feel like he really needs like a big concerted critic's push. So maybe, you know, maybe Lafka goes for him, but if not that then i have a harder time seeing him get
0: in and that's why yeah if this doesn't like manifest because after sun is going to win like pretty much almost every i think first film prize this year from the critics so if the love is there and he doesn't pick up the best actor wins then i feel like i have no choice but to default to hugh jackman from this from the sun yeah
2: however i mean it would be uh it would be a unorthodox pick, but I mean, if Top Gun Maverick is as big as people say, I scoffed at this a few months ago, but I mean, it is, given how the season has panned out, it is not impossible that it does. Or, make- or you know what? Given, you know, initial scoff, but hey, wait
0: a minute, there's something here. What if it really is Adam Sandler for Hustle, and it's a yes. makeup nom for snubbing him for Uncut Gems? Yeah. What
1: about um, Gabriel yeah. LaBelle?
0: Uh, that is very possible too. More so than... Uh, who was it last year in Belfast?
5: Ah Jude Hill. yeah,
0: like that was never gonna happen, but LaBelle, i i if they love fablements, which I think they're going to, that is more possible than I think people are willing
5: to admit.
4: that's performance in the movie yeah.
5: <laughs> they just have such an aversion to cat- uh to nominating that young an actor in that
4: category. yeah,
5: yeah.
0: Uh, Oscar H, how do you see best cinematography playing out? Uh, Will, you kind of mentioned this earlier. You're starting to think it's going to lean towards Top Gun?
2: I don't know. I mean, it could, you know, depending on how Babylon plays, it could just be another one for Lena Sandgren, or it could be Avatar. But other than those, I mean, like uh, Kaminsky's work in The Fablemans is good, but it doesn't scream winner. I don't know. I kind of feel like, yeah, Top Gun kind of makes sense.
0: Regardless of what people think of the movie, I really would not be upset with a Darius Kanji win
5: for Bardo. It it really is, I think, some of the most striking uh, imagery in any film this year.
2: Yeah. Gorgeous work. Absolutely. My concern is that if this were the 1990s or even early 2000s, yes, they just don't, with the exception of Blade Runner, where it was kind of an undeniable narrative, they just don't seem to go for... Films that aren't big best picture contenders for best cinematography wins anymore.
3: Yeah,
2: this the only one from the last decade
4: was Blade Runner, and that was one hundred percent because of Deakins.
1: I realized this year that there's no discourse around the automatic nomination that black and white films get.
0: Yeah, well, we didn't really have. uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: I kind of miss it. I I know (laughs) one black and white film to sort of enter in the race.
2: Well, Oppenheimer will be back next year with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Benny
0: Dawson. While Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Banshees of Inisherin, Glass Onion, and Babylon feel pretty safe for Golden Globe comedy musical nominations, what do you think could take that fifth and final slot amongst those four? First of all, what a competitive four! Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's really all. Aw- if that's if that ends up being our lineup plus something else, that's a damn good lineup.
1: I'm guessing Elvis isn't considered a musical.
0: Given their recent trend with A Star Is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody going into drama, my gut tells me they'll push it there instead of comedy musical.
4: Okay. Yeah, so I think they're I done with the, with those shenanigans.
0: <laughs> also, too, people got to remember something, too, about the Globes this year. The voting body is so, so radically different than anything else that has previously come before I would not expect there to be your typical what-the-fuck Golden Globe nominations. I would actually probably expect it to be a little bit more consensus than usual.
2: Yeah. However, I will say they have, I think, slightly different eligibility rules Mm -hmm. than the Oscars, so we could have some unorthodox stuff, which is why I think we might have some weird and Al Yankovic story love in the musical or comedy categories because it's eligible here, but it's not at the Oscars. I wouldn't Mm. be upset
4: about it. Uh, Oh, uh, that would be cool. I mean, if we're opening that door, like Fire Island would love that, too. What if uh, I forget? So correct me if I'm
0: wrong here. But can animated films contend in this category now? Or is it just the foreign language films can?
4: I think they can now. I think that was one of their rule changes.
0: Because what if it is Pinocchio? Given that it has some uh, musical uh, song moments in it. It could be. I think that's a
4: possibility.
5: Yeah. Or the, uh, or given the international labor, maybe they'll go for something that's an out and out musical like Matilda.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's a good call out there. If there's any place where that film would get recognition, it would be with the Globes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I kind of hope it's bros, but I don't I don't know. I don't see it happening.
5: Mm, yeah. No. I suspect any bros awards chances are with critics groups.
0: Scott Kernan, when looking at several of our predicted Best Picture lineups, many of the potential nominees feel assured to land nominations at PGA. Like The Father, Room, Drive My Car, and Phantom Thread, if there is to be a film that makes the Oscar 10 but misses PGA, what would it be?
2: I, could, I don't know. I could see... I'm waiting to see how big a contender it is, but there's a world where the Banshees of Inishirin does.
0: I, and, you know, we talked about this a lot on our podcast review recently.
4: I could see the whale
0: missing PGA, but still cracking the tail. Yeah, I was going to say
4: the whale. Yeah that, yeah, that feels like it to me. I would be pretty shocked if Banshees missed PGA because that's like a top. 3-4 contenders. Yeah, I, I and... think
2: now that some contenders haven't panned out as well as we thought they would. It, oh, no, no, wait, Will, separate. are you thinking
4: it's Banshees
0: because of the international aspect of it?
2: Yes. You know, like, The Father and some of the other, uh, there are films that miss the PGA. Actually, I think with some of the same producing team that end up playing very well with Ampus that don't necessarily get in with the very American... Producers Guild voting body. We see it every year. Um, I think the fact that Banshees has a pretty solid block of support helps it. I feel better about it than I did a couple months ago. But it does kind of fit a trend. Again, case in point, The Father. We'll see.
0: Butter Parsnip, do you think there is passion behind Kiki Palmer's supporting uh, campaign to make uh, an Oscar nomination happen?
2: Not
4: yet. Yeah, not really betting on that.
0: New York Film Critics Circle tend to go their own way in supporting actress. Case in point, uh, Catherine Hunter last year with The Tragedy of Macbeth. So I'm not willing to say yet unless if a bunch of other critics groups start to follow suit.
5: Yeah, and it's not like this category is devoid of major contenders.
0: Uh, Polls for life. Do you think S.S. Rajamouli could be a dark horse for the Best Director Oscar nomination?
2: If he keeps getting critics support
0: like
4: this, he might like, be our international pick this year, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wonderful. I remember joking about it at one point, but there is a possibility. I think that's a situation where RRR would really need to become a uh, a best picture contender. And it's still on the outside right now. But if the critics do rally behind it, it's a weird comparison, but maybe it could be the dude drive my car you know? <laughs> the, oh, my God. <laughs> if the critics are there for it to kind of remind people, like, yes, this movie exists and you should nominate it and give it awards, then that's how you build momentum. I, I don't know if we're really going to see that, but there's potential for it.
2: Yeah, all eyes are on you, Lafka. Make it yeah. happen.
5: Yeah. I mean, if there is one film that has uh, such critical passion this year, I think it's RRR.
0: Adam Clay, which films do you think are currently getting nominated for Best Animated Feature? It feels like Pinocchio and Turning Red are the only guarantees at this time. Uh, Yeah, I would say those two. Yeah. Cartoon Saloon is pretty good uh, with this category, so I'll say My Father's Dragon. Yeah. I am still going to say Marcel Vichel with Shoes On for the time being, and we'll see, we'll see where this goes. And then the final slot... The final slot is a toss up between the two universal uh, DreamWorks films uh, between even the bad guys or Puss in Boots. I'm going to lean towards the bad guys personally, but I I think it could be either one.
4: I mean, Puss in Boots has been getting
2: very positive notices, like yeah. much more yeah. positive than I was expecting. I was shocked by how much I liked that movie. Recency bias, too, I think will help. Like, it's, you know, everybody's watching it right now.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know what? I forget forget what I said. It, I think I think I'll say Puss in Boots then. In that yeah, case, yeah, I think
2: Puss in Boots
4: is in. The last one got nominated,
5: right? I guess my only question is, will Mar- uh, Marcel make it? And yeah, if not, uh, it, that's a question mark. Yeah, I think it, it would be the bad guys if if uh, it doesn't.
0: You don't know me five three zero one four two five eight. What are your chances? What are the chances of Brendan Fraser becoming this year's Mickey Rourke, Michael Keaton? Uh, pretty high.
4: Yeah, it yep. could easily yep. happen.
0: Yep. I, I, I mean, I hate to admit this out loud because he's my personal winner of this year, but I dropped him down to number three behind Farrell and Butler.
3: Yeah,
2: that that film just isn't landing as a whole with people. I think like it. In-
0: I, I was hoping the more that it had screened over the last couple of weeks that it would rise a little bit more in the terms opposite. of the critical. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: It's so weird as, a, as someone who hasn't seen it to see the reception like drastically change from when it premiered.
5: Yeah. I took it out of my 10. Mm. Oscar Odyssey, what are your favorite
0: performances this year to have no chance of being nominated for an Oscar? Oh.
4: <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Oh, oh. There's always somebody to choose from every year. I don't like being this mean this early.
1: <laughs> I'll say uh, Tang Wei and decision to leave.
2: Oh, so good! Great That's choice. An excellent choice. Thank you. I'm gonna do a shout out to just because Amphis brought this on themselves by tweeting out.
1: Oh, I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> yeah,
2: in support of this performance on their yep. official account, Mia Goth in uh, Pearl. Yes. <laughs> yes,
0: big yes.
4: Why would you put that target on your back? I know. <laughs> <'Cause
2: it's>... <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> no, she should be in that conversation. She really deserves it. It's it's frustrating. Uh, speaking of somebody that like, I don't even think she'll get any precursor support this year. But Rebecca Hall and Resurrection floored me.
4: Yeah, she, I was not a fan of the movie overall, but she is pretty great in that film. That monologue.
2: Oh, my God.
4: Yeah. 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 You know, we talk about how weak the best actor race is, but I do find that there are good performances there. They're just not entering the conversation at all. Like Jack, Jack Logan. Yep. Yes. Benetton, yes. Really yep. good. And you know what? I did a rewatch of RRR and Ram Charan. It, that is actually like a really layered performance much more layered than you would think and like if we're talking about tom Cruise and top gun entering this conversation like this is the blockbuster action performance that i think should be considered over tom Cruise. like this is a really good performance actually in in that uh in rrr hell yeah. yeah ben sears which category are you feeling
0: the most confident about in your oscar predictions and which one are you feeling the least confident in uh, let's all just say it in unison. most confident is Avatar in a way of water for visual effects.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, least confident, supporting actress. Absolutely. Uh, Fantasy Flimball, in your eyes, what films still have a path to realistically win Best Picture with the current state
2: of the race? Honestly, that's a hard one because I was thinking earlier this week, you know, the preferential ballot favors films that nobody hates, but it seems like Everything between the Fablemans, everything, everywhere, all at once. Women talking, Babylon. They all have groups of people who genuinely hate them.
3: Yeah.
2: And it's it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, y'all mentioned Banshees as one earlier. I guess that's true. I mean, nobody seems to hate Banshees, but I still don't know if it feels like a Best Picture winner. But it's really tough to predict because, I mean, obviously the Fablemans is considered by many the default frontrunner, but it hasn't landed necessarily as hard as people hoped it would.
0: I mean, I still see a path for it to win. Oh, Um, yeah, definitely. um, In terms of the films I think that have a path, I think it really is only four films for me. And that's Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Women Talking, and The Banshees of Inner Yeah. I agree. If you want to make an argument to me about Maverick or Avatar, I'd be willing to listen to the argument, especially considering Avatar doesn't screen until Tuesday, but I I would struggle heavily to see Top Gun Maverick winning, even if it even if it picks up all these below the line nom, uh wins. Yeah, that's yeah. not winning best picture. No
5: mean, if this is a horse race, Banshees is one of those horses that's always in second and third, mm-hmm. and never drops back, and you know, I could see a sprint near the end uh, that there may be objections to the other uh, movies that Will mentioned that it could pull out the win at the end.
0: Especially if it went screenplay. Yeah. and and Farrell or Condon. this is what I mean when I say like there's paths. Yeah. Women Talking's path is adapted screenplay, supporting actress, and maybe a score win for Hildur.
2: Yeah, I would say that's a pretty...
0: That could definitely happen. Everything Everywhere's got the path of key, screenplay, editing, Michelle. Like, there's a lot of combinations there.
2: Yeah.
0: Fablemans has, I think, an assured win with Spielberg and director. Yeah.
5: And it's got a, it'll has got it get a lot of below the line, too.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the thing, though, about Fablemans, is although the Spielberg win is there... There's nothing else, unlike all the other ones I just said, where I'm like, yeah, I could see it winning this, I could see it winning that. With those other films, I just mentioned, oh, it could win this, it could win that, and that would make it win Best Picture. Where with Fablemans, a lot of the time, I'm actually using the logic in reverse, where, oh, if Fablemans wins Best Picture, it probably picks up this or this. It's not me thinking, oh, Fablemans is going to win this and this and this, and that will lead to Best Picture. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I
2: mean, Matt, I mean, like, you, you probably would have had to do the same logic uh, to justify Green Book winning. I mean, sometimes yeah. if they like a film, like, I, I think a lot of people would agree that you have more interesting screenplays with Everything Everywhere at Once or uh, Banshees of Inisherin. but sometimes that doesn't dictate how they're going to choose the best screenplay winner, if they like
0: the movie. And you know what? I'll tell you this, after last year of Power of the Dog, I'm not making the same mistake again. Even if, like, Fableman's gets nominations for LaBelle, Hirsch, like, if it overperforms and leads in nominations, which I think it's going to, for the record, I still think that these other films that we've mentioned here are still very much in the hunt to take it down.
4: The race is always fluid. Yep. <laughs> Last year should tell us everything about that. (laughs) Yep.
0: All right. Last question here from Isaiah Washington. Here we go. Time to pick and choose. One's got to go. Female heroines. And this one is uh, with a shout out to Lauren LaBagna. I guess he was hoping that she would be here today to torture her for this. (laughs) Uh, God, Uh, man. Leia Ortega from the Star Wars franchise, Furiosa, Mad Max, Fury Road, Sarah Connors, the Terminator franchise, Ellen Ripley, the Aliens franchise. (sighs) That's a (laughs)
2: fucked up question, Isaiah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like this. Well, I will not be ditching Ellen Ripley. I can tell you that.
4: No, I can't do that.
2: I can't do that either.
4: Oh, I have such a
0: strong connection to Furiosa. So I'm going to stick with that. Although at the same time, it has only been one film and maybe Deion and (laughs) Taylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Uh,
2: I think that's probably why I'm going to have to unfortunately go with Furiosa. I love that character. I love that movie. But, you know, I, I love Sarah Connor's journey from the first Terminator to the character she became in Terminator 2. Certainly, keeping Ellen Ripley and Princess Leia is iconic. I think it. I think it has to be Furiosa.
0: I think it has to be Furiosa too. But when the sequel or the prequel comes out, Finding a tear of joy, that might make this
5: a more competitive category again. <laughs> come, come back later and ask it, Isaiah.
4: Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say Leia. And it's mainly because I do not have the attachment to Star Wars like other people do. Like, I have enjoyed those movies, but they have never really been the centerpiece in my childhood like it has been for so many others out there. And, yeah, like, I like Leia a lot. But in terms of the characters on this list, I just think that the other three I have stronger attachments to.
0: Every week, this guy tortures us and that's how we end every episode
5: <laughs> and he's proud of it yeah. yes
0: alright well that'll do it here for episode 222 no 322 my god we <laughs> went back in time of the next best picture podcast Josh Parham tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet
4: uh, you can find me on twitter and letterboxd over at JR Parham Will Mavity you can find me on twitter at Mavericks Movies Tom O'Brien
5: you can find me on twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien and Eve O'Day.
1: You can find me on Twitter at Eve on Film and on Letterboxd uh, at Eve O'Day, where I have both my personal uh, Sight and Sound top 10 and the now, I think, 25 films I have on the list I have yet to see.
0: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts.